K. Griffith and Scott Matthew Callahan are your hosts, and between them, they bring over 50 years of coaching experience to the table with success in both boys and girls athletics. Their expertise comes from the locker room, the classroom, and their living room. Now, the teacher coach with TK and Scott. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Teacher Coach Podcast here, coming at you not so live from Brook Point Studios here in beautiful Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. It's uh, around uh, early May here and another mild day, uh, about 45 to maybe 50 degrees outside, but it looks like the sun wants to come out eventually here in Northeast Ohio. We're blessed and lucky today, Scott Matthew Callahan and I, to have with us the former head strength and conditioning coach of the World Series championship team, the Houston Astros. You might have heard of that if you're a Major League Baseball fan um, a few years ago. Uh, Jake Biding is a graduate of Archbishop Hoban High School, a proud graduate of Archbishop Hoban High School, and he is a visiting professor right now at John Carroll University here in Northeast Ohio up in the Cleveland area, and he's also still uh, staying in the business of teaching and coaching, as we say, since this is a teacher-coach podcast, as a strength and conditioning coach for youngsters in this area as well. Um, before we get started, Jake, and welcome to the to the uh, show, I want to just um, briefly give you a 10-second a, a intro on why we, we ended up doing this. Scott and I truly believe in the model of the teacher-coach, not only in high schools, but throughout life. Um, Literally, a teacher coach to us is somebody who teaches in the academic building during the day and then goes to the field or the court and interacts with student athletes. However, it's metaphorically a lot more than that. It's anybody in our life um, who impacts us in a way where where they teach us um, not only life lessons, but maybe technical skills um, and things that might transcend the technical skills as well. And so therefore, obviously, we see not only you as a teacher coach, but we see a lot of people in our lives as teacher coaches who aren't teachers and they're not even coaches. So there's my 10 seconds. It ended up being about 45 seconds, Jake. But where does the, where does the teacher coach, I guess, philosophy or mindset fit in, fit in um, to your line of work in your life? Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the show. Um, here in the episodes you guys have done so far, you've had some really great guests. So hopefully I'm not, uh, not too subpar compared to the rest <laughs> of them. Um, but yeah, the teacher coach mindset for me is really what it's all about. I was fortunate, you know, co- going through Hoban, um, graduating in 02, to see a lot of that firsthand. And um, I, I had a big realization. I remember my senior year playing football, uh, but also having Coach Rossini for government that year and really like being caught off guard that his teaching style in the classroom was almost exactly like his coaching style. Like he didn't really oscillate that it was very much that this is who he was. It was, it was genuine and, and real. Um, you know, so seeing similar things with having you in class as well and, you know, not having you much as a basketball player when yeah. playing my freshman year, but um, it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. I couldn't have imagined doing anything professionally. I mean, even going back to high school that wasn't yeah. associated with sports in, in right. one way or another. Right. And so seeing that you could do that without being, you know, kind of a caricature of what some of the football coaches are and right. on TV and, and yeah. movies and everything was really uh, nice and really gave me uh, the sense that, okay, hey, you can really go and make this your career and do this in a way that is natural and the way that, you know, you feel like it should be done, which is right. really about putting the kids first and yeah. being, being part of a community in one way or another. Yeah. Um, is that, 
you know, I guess the word that I think of with, with what you just said there, Jake, before we get into your journey is, is genuine and authentic. Um, is that something that, uh, I, I guess attract when you saw a Ralph Orsini, who's going to be on the show soon, by the way, when you saw, oh, when you saw a Ralph Orsini, just be who he is in the classroom, who's a very faith filled family centered guy, um, who, who's not going to, he, he's not a show off and he's not a phony. He's, he's very authentic. Um, is that the word that comes to mind? I guess genuine or or, or authentic. Is is that something that kind of sparked you? Yeah, absolutely. And and it for me, it was I, I realized that very quickly mm-hmm. um, once I got into coaching because I I had to stop playing football after my sophomore year of college because I had some neck problems. Mm-hmm. And again, was really fortunate that I was able to get um, my internship with the Indians as a sophomore um i was yeah i was 19 when i started working for them right and seeing that with my the guys that were my my bosses right away too that even though it it was professional sports they were still who they were as coaches that you know there were some that were more reserved there were some that were more outgoing now yeah you know obviously not all athletes not all students are the same and you Mm -hmm. have to find different ways to motivate people and reach people so right uh, you have to oscillate a little bit between you know, sometimes being more intense with certain people and yeah. and all that. But if you're consistently trying to be somebody you aren't, I, I don't think you're going to have much success as a coach. Exactly. So let's go back to that, Jake. You were um, a tremendous high school football player in my estimation. I got to announce some of your high school football games, and I can't remember. I know you were highly decorated, perhaps even all Ohio um, or mm-hmm. all whatever, all district, and and you had a, real, a really a really fine football career. You then go to John Carroll, um, and you start playing – college football there and, and yet you got injured but what were you majoring in um did you know early you know with with your major choice i guess that you wanted to do sports and conditioning strength and conditioning so I, i'm sorry i i appreciate the uh, the compliment i think unfortunately you weren't the one offering college scholarships <laughs> <laughs> every, every division one football coach in the country did not agree with your assessment <laughs> um, but no i i knew i got very into working out I broke my collarbone playing football in seventh grade. And I remember like my doctor, after I got cleared for activity again, said, Hey, you should probably start doing some resistance training. Yeah. And my dad had always worked out a lot. And so we had stuff at the house. And once I started doing that, I really, I realized kind of quickly I was good at it. Yeah. And that was, for me, that was a really big motivating factor. Like it is for a lot of kids with sports that they want to have something that they're really good at. Cause I was, I was trying to figure out kind of who I was. I was, I had, you know, as the third child in the family, I had a sister who was beyond brilliant, a valedictorian and all this that I, I was like, okay, well, I'm a million miles behind that. <laughs> you know, my older brother was the starting quarterback on Hogan's right. football team, starting point guard on a basketball team that was in the final four. Right. And, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that's like way beyond my capacity to do those kind of things. So when I found this thing that for me was like, well, I'm clearly better at this than right. a lot of the people around me. Yeah. Um, I got really into it then. Yeah. And never that never really abated at all. I mean, I knew. Okay. I mean, I remember like sophomore year of high school writing a career paper on wanting to be a physical therapist. So it was, oh, yeah, yeah, pretty clearly. I, now, my sophomore year when I got the internship, I was majoring in uh, PE and exercise science concentration okay. was what they had at Carroll at the time. Okay. Um, and I was wanting at the time to coach. I thought I was going to be a high school football coach. Yeah, and I. My mom had said, okay, I think that's a good path for you. But yeah. she said, listen, whatever you do, don't major in history because right. I get a million resumes every year of people yeah. who 
want to want to be history teachers right. and football right. coaches and it's right. just you'll never get a job so yeah. so she had recommended i look at also adding like a religion minor because we had to take right. some of those classes of john carroll anyway so at That's the time true. i got yeah. the internship i yeah. was looking at okay I'm, I'm gonna go this path and i'm gonna get a minor in religion so that i could have taught yeah. religion or physical education i could right. get a job easy at a catholic school sure coming out uh then i lucked into this internship with the indians mm-hmm. i had to get i had to get an internship credit anyways right and i just like first day i mean within an hour i just completely fell in love with it and yeah I mean, it was, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Right. And, I had, and fortunately, again, I didn't realize this at the time, but the people yeah. that were my immediate bosses, yeah. um, a guy named Tim Maxey, who was the head strength coach at the time, okay. um, who also Mike Winkler worked for, okay. um, you know, Hoban strength coach and right. having positive experience. And then our big bosses, Mark Shapiro, who was the general manager, and Chris yeah. Annetti, who's now the Indians general manager, a guy named Ross Atkins, who's now the general manager of the Blue Jays, were... Yeah. A really special group of people, which yeah. again, it, it took me about five years to realize that. Right. Um, and we just had all these connections that I was yeah. able to kind of accelerate my career path fairly quickly. Right. Right. Once I got into it. So from, from that internship, Jake, I, I assume you got your bachelor's in about two years. Did you need to go, oh, I'm sorry, did you go immediately into the workforce in that strength and conditioning area or did you need to get a, did you need to get a graduate degree first? So Jake, um, you got the internship with the Indians, and now let's fast forward about two years. I assume you graduated with your bachelor's. Did you go right into the workforce in the strength and conditioning area, or did you go seek a master's degree first? Okay, so I I ended up interning for the Indians for about two full years when I was in college because again, I, my sports was done, and I yeah. I just I, I fell in love with it. My boss let me stay on longer. Yeah, and so I was. Um, I mean, I would essentially say I did a graduate assistantship, but in yeah. undergrad. Yeah. And so my boss, again, being a good boss, said, hey, you need to get college experience. You need yeah. to see a different atmosphere because it's it's almost a completely different job working in professional baseball or professional sports in general right. than it is working with like Division One college football. Right. So um, I thought arrogantly that, okay, I've got all this great experience as a as an intern with the indians the major league team i will pretty easily get a graduate assistant job yeah wasn't the case so but i did get a good internship at the university of south florida okay went down there worked for the football team um and helped out with other sports basketball i got to see a lot of programs which was good i got the program i got to write the programs for the cross-country team so i did that for like eight months and while i did that i started working on my master's okay and again just kind of good fortune um, my boss of the Indians called me back and said, Hey, we need someone to stay in Florida, run extended spring training, do okay. the, um, the rookie league golf coast team. Right. You can keep working on your, on your masters wow. because it was a 45, 45 minute drive. Right. So, um, I was able to go back and continue to work full time while I was finishing up nice. you know, for the last, last three semesters of my master's degree. Wow. Wow, that's great. so it worked. It worked out really well, and you know, yeah. thankfully, uh, you know, Maggie, my wife, was able to find. She had a good job that was yeah. down there in Florida too. Uh, it was certainly keeping us afloat during that time. I wasn't yeah. doing it um, financially and everything. So yeah, no, that was uh, that was a good time, a really fun time. When I look yeah. back on it now, Jake, you were so young when you started with the Indians as an intern when you were at John Carroll, and then later after you graduated and were down in Florida. How did you establish credibility with professional baseball players at such a young age? So the biggest thing for me was I, I never was too 
I never really treated them like they were celebrities, um, which maybe, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I didn't spend enough time thinking about like how fortunate I was to be in this situation or anything. Right. Um, like I was at the time and like now the, the standard now when you're at a major league stadium, if you're on the road team, you have a visiting weight room that you use yeah. at that time when I was in college, they didn't have that. So every visiting team would come in. So I got to meet all the visiting strength coaches and right. you know, I get to watch Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez come and the guys like that come in and work out when I was in college. So it was cool to see. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I honestly, TK, I think it's kind of something that, probably stem from my high school experience where mm-hmm. I used to get so frustrated with people not thinking that my mom was a human being. Like they saw <laughs> her as a, as a job title. Right. 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 As a, as a principal, yeah. like, like, Oh, my buddies, not really my buddies, but like other sure. people are like, Oh, when you get in trouble at home, do you get a detention? <laughs> like, right. Right. Hey, like your, your mom's a nurse. Does she take right. your vitals every night? Right. No, right. like it's yeah. a job. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like I, I, it was easier for me, I guess, yeah. to see them as human beings yeah. and human beings with a completely random, freaky talent. But <laughs> uh, humans first. So, like I never, I, I never felt like it was I was over my head. Right. But again, I had bosses that were that pushed me pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I was I was ready for it because I had right. all this energy that I had poured into sports for years and years. Right. That needed to go somewhere. Yeah. And it went towards that, and I finally by my junior year in college started to do well in school like i should have right. previous decade <laughs> previous decade but um i so for me the credibility was just that um you know when i was young i didn't yeah. i didn't act it i guess yeah. um which which has its pros and cons right um but then um the biggest thing i found with any athletes was just they wanted to know that you're there to help them yeah and so um, really like they don't I found that they didn't care that much about your knowledge base as right. long as they knew that you were there to try and make them better. Yeah. And that was really all it took right. uh, with the athletes. Yeah. Um, Jake, you mentioned Tim Maxey, um, and that's Ooh. a guy who trained you a little bit. I don't know if he trained you, but you, you guys were working under him, um, both you and Mike Winkler and I'm sure a slew of other people. What, what, what kind of um, leader was he, and what, what, what nuggets did you pick up from a guy like a Tim Maxey? Uh, well, that kind of thing was big. I mean, I he always put the needs of the athletes first. I mean, just realizing that you have to really get to know all of them. Like the standard of preparation and the amount of energy you need to pour into it mm-hmm. are just they're higher than anything I've seen, you know, outside of professional sports. Yeah, it's just you know, it's it's everything you have. So I mean, right. like I. The again, just the the way I was pushed coming up with the Indians. I'm really glad that was the first job I had because otherwise I would have. I think if I if I had gone to work for them when I was 30, I would have thought right. that they were lunatics and, and <laughs> left left after a year or something. <laughs> right. Um, but that was just the norm. I mean, they expected yeah. like when you had a you kind of you know back. This is 04 that I started, so this is before like it was so easy to find whatever information you wanted on everybody. Sure. So like it, you know, if they had a player get traded. Yeah. You know, like we, we had the media guides in, in our storage room that you would go back in, you'd find, you'd read their entire bio and know everything about them so that you could, yeah. you know, the players really responded when you, you were able to say like, oh, you went to LSU, right? Right, and right. You played with this guy. Like just that they, yeah. that you did, that they know you did the time to prepare and yeah. find information about them was right. a really big deal. And that, and that yeah. certainly also reflected in things like continuing education and, right. and um, again, just being 
physically present. I know that that seems like a, a little thing, but right. You know, when you're in a professional baseball schedule and you essentially from the start of spring training in the middle of February through the end of the season, where if you're in the playoffs, that's you know into October, right? You don't really have off days, yeah. and so you're you're tired mentally, right. physically, um, right? And that you can just physically get up, yeah, out, out away from your desk, and when someone walks in, yeah, just one person for you to be with, you know that like they, that matters to them, yeah, and. Uh, yeah. That, that amount of caring is those are the things I really picked up. Yeah, um, is Tim Maxey still in the business, Jake? So he got a job as it's an interesting job where he's the joint strength and conditioning coordinator for Major League Baseball and the Players Association. So he wow. has a jointly funded position by those two bodies okay. um, that helps deal with things. Like, you know, I mentioned like it's a policy now that right. every, there's a visiting weight room in every stadium, like. Right. Things like that, making yeah. sure strength coaches have their certification, helping okay. that uh, with like supplement programs, drug testing programs, things like that. It's it's an administrative role, but it's yeah. it's it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's an important position. It's helped grow yeah. the strength conditioning profession yeah. in, in baseball a lot. Yeah. So, Jake, you're down in South Florida and you're doing some work there uh, for the Indians. What what comes next? So, uh, well, a lot. So, the, in the 2007 <laughs> season. I was the rookie ball strength coach. And then uh, the guy that was my boss, my immediate supervisor, who was the minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. So just the structure of baseball, for anybody listening to might know, if you a team usually has about seven affiliates yeah, being minor league teams, there's one strength coach at every team. Okay. Um, and then there's one person who supervises all that. So the guy who was my supervisor left to go take the head job for the Dodgers. Okay. That position got vacated, so I was fortunate because I'd worked so closely with my boss during that time in Cleveland. He trusted me and promoted me into the coordinator role when I was 23. Wow. Um, was definitely not ready for it all the way, but fortunately, yeah. he had the trust of yeah. bosses in the front office and everything. So right. um, I got that position, and that was an interesting year. It was for the 2008 season. That was interesting because for a lot of reasons, I was finishing up grad school that year. I got married that year. <laughs> we... Uh, and we moved the Indians facility from Winter Haven, Florida to Phoenix. Wow. So wow. I got I got that coordinator job, moved across the country. Yeah. Um we opened up the new facility, which was a big change because it was year round. So that was fun because I got to do the, yeah. the minor league coordinator position, you don't have one team you're responsible for. Right. So in a lot of ways you're more supervisor administrator. Yeah. But I got to always work like the off season camps and be responsible for whether it's major yeah. league players, minor minor league players, whoever was in the area. So right. I ended up doing that job for five years. Wow. So you were in charge of the seven affiliates and, and, and the respective strength coaches un, underneath you then? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And I, the, the direct report, but certainly the sure. the the head strength coach is the major league strength coach and sure. responsible for overseeing setting the tempo but yeah. you're also the day-to-day -day coach in that yeah. role so you, yeah you know I, a lot of the administrative things whether it's basic like sure ordering supplements and yeah. equipment right. and things like that but that was that was a great job for me even though i was based in phoenix right i got to travel i had to travel mm -hmm. you know about two or three times in the first and second half of each year to each affiliate so for me okay. it was like come back to columbus come right. to akron come right. to lake county Miami right. valley yeah i mean i, I was home a yeah. Ton. yeah it was a really great way that yeah i lived in phoenix but i, I was sure. back here all the time That's it cool. really worked out yeah. nicely yeah so then jake what's your next jump after that five-year role so i was ready um i was ready to 
try something new um, to apply myself. I, I thought I was I was very ready for the the head job in yeah. my mind anyway. Sure. And I wanted I spent a ton of time kind of right now planning out what I would do um, yeah. if I were in that position. I was fortunate because my first two years as a coordinator uh, was under Tim Maxey before he took his job with mm-hmm. MLB and the Players Association. Okay. Then I didn't get that job. I interviewed for that major job and didn't get it. Okay. And uh, they had another guy with more NFL experience who's still there now and a really good coach named Joe Kessler, who okay. they gave the job. And so seeing how two different – he was that was my last three years. And so right. seeing how two different people did the job, two different yeah. people with different skill sets, there was a lot I took on the yeah. positive side for both of them. There were some sure. things I tried not to do sure. that both of them did. So, you know, it, sure. was, it was a really good way for me to really learn and see. Right. Uh, the pluses and minuses are two different approaches. And then I was, uh, it was right around Thanksgiving of 2012 that I okay. got the job with the Astros. Um, okay. I'd had a connection. They, they went into a complete overhaul under a new general manager. Right. Um, and he hired one of the Indians assistant general managers to come be his assistant general manager. Okay. And they let go everybody, including, uh, their strength coach. Who actually, I took over for a man named Dr. Gene Coleman, Okay. who was the first ever strength and conditioning coach in Major League Baseball. He wow. had that job with the Astros for about over 30 years. Oh, my gosh. It was wow. kind of thought of as a, like a legend in the profession. So it's yeah. fairly intimidating yeah. stepping into that role. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had a connection. Um, you know, I, my wife was yeah. willing to um, give yeah. a shot, and it ended up doing that job for five and a half – well, five seasons Yeah. until they fired wow. me after we won the World Series. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like how you phrase that, Jake. <laughs> they yeah, fired me right. after we won the World Series. We'll come back to that, but better, better than before, I guess. Yeah, I um, I have a question, Scott. Before you get into there, you know, Jake, whenever you um change jobs, and I'm not speaking from experience. I've been a Hoban my whole life, but I have seen different regimes come into Hoban as far as leadership. So I guess I've experienced it a little bit. But I'm curious, what was the culture like? with the Indians and what was the culture like with the Astros? Did you see a distinct difference? Um, and what did you learn from each, both good and bad? Oh, okay. So this might take like the rest of the hour, to get to this, <laughs> this answer, but, but yeah, so yes, is the quick answer. Um, couldn't have been more different. Um, so one of the things I grew to appreciate after I left the Indians was that how established everyone was that, you know, Mark Shapiro had been the GM for several years while I was there. Yeah. But he had been an assistant GM before that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Chris Antonetti, who was an assistant GM at the time I was there, had right. been an assistant for a long time. There was a lot of stability. People okay. had stayed there. Um, you knew, you know, how to do things. As opposed to when I got it, the job at the Astros in 2012, the new general manager, the new owner who just bought the team a year prior, new mm-hmm. general manager – I think it was actually two years prior. New general manager had been on for one season. Hmm. And so it was a complete startup. Okay. And the team had, was, had been really bad before I got there. They had lost over 100 wow. games the two previous seasons. Wow. Um, so they were bad. And so first off, going into the major league level yeah. was, was a lot of fun right, right away. The people, people, there was a lot of bitterness because a, a lot of folks that were there yeah. that had made it through the, the major cuts that had happened were really angry as you would expect that you know sure. all their friends and colleagues got got fired and sure just kind of waiting for it to happen to them yeah so there's a kind of a lot of bitterness and right. the under the previous regime the astros hadn't really invested a lot in things like continuing education and that wasn't really encouraged uh, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, the Indians were, were very open. Like things like they expected you to negotiate your contract with them. They didn't expect right. you to just take the offer you got. And things right. like that right. hadn't traditionally been the way with the Astros. So okay. there were things that I just assumed kind of naively that this is the way all the other teams operate. Yeah. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I didn't appreciate what it was like working for the Indians until right. uh, several years later. Right. Um, where I went in just making too many assumptions. I didn't ask right. enough questions up front about right. how do you all operate, yeah. you know, what's normal, what's not normal. Right. Um, and so I got myself, you know, I had some people that got pretty frustrated with me right off the bat that I had to work pretty closely with because they thought I was, you know, they took me asking questions about a rehab program or a right. throwing program as like me questioning their judgment on how sure. they're doing their jobs as opposed to like, no, I'm just trying to get all the information sure. I can. Sure. Uh, so I can do my job better. Right. And again, I didn't, I, I realized that, you know, one of the most important things you have to do when you transition uh-huh. as a coach. And even, you know, when I started at John Carroll um, as an educator was just to make sure you really understand the situation you're getting into. And obviously you want to try to do as much of that in the interview process as sure. you can, but even when you sure. get there to really yeah. understand before you judge or right. before you're perceived as judging. So, sure. you know, sure. I've, I've tried to, like when I started back up with John Carroll, kind of, preface you know questions that i have you know for people that may end up being controversial with hey you know i don't want you to take this this way i'm trying to understand so if i do say anything that might be sensitive sure Sure. you know or please don't take it that way i'm just trying to understand right yeah because you never because you just you just never know what people what's people are you know have really fought for over the years that you might think is a bad policy right but they might be really happy with the gains they've made over the last couple years and so right just have to be very careful with the way you, yeah. you know, ask about things yeah. and perceive things going in. How long did it take you to develop? I guess I guess I'll call it trust, since you had some people on edge and and their friends had just been fired, and and you're just trying to gain information. How, how long do you think it took you to establish some trust there? Um, well, there, honestly, there were a couple people it never happened for. Okay, um, and they ended up being there for part of my time, but not the last few years I was there. Okay. Um, there are other people that, you know, once they realize, you know, over the course of the year, you spend so much time with each other, yeah. whether it be spring training, whether it be, right. um, just during the course of the season itself. I mean, yeah. three months feels like three years sometimes. So a lot of it can happen fairly yeah. quickly. It just, yeah. it depends on the situation right. and, the, and the individual. Yeah. But the players, he came fairly quickly. Cause again, referencing back to what I said before, they knew that I was trying my best to help them out Yeah, and, you know that 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 would that part of it was quicker. Yeah, I found. I will say, I found during my time in baseball, the you know, people talk a lot about like oh, players with having egos, and that's got to yeah. be a challenge at the major league level. And I I didn't find that to be the most challenging part. I mean, there certainly are some, but I found the egos of coaches right. and front office people at that level to be way more difficult than really? the players because yeah. everybody is. Everybody honestly is very, really driven that are yeah. doing those jobs. And you know, when you talk about the coaches, it's a lot of people that used to play at right. in the major leagues and right. believe that because of that, they have the expertise that, well, I did this as a player, so this is what yeah. they should do as a player. Right, right. And a lot of the front office people who are very smart and very driven want to make an impact yeah. somewhere or another. Sure. And I, you know, just to be clear, I, like, I could have done a lot of things better with yeah. the way I communicated program changes to the front office and things like that. But Right, you know it, that I found the the players were much easier than yeah. the other components. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I should say, but the coaching staff I had uh, working with me the last two years I was in Houston especially, uh, they, were, they were great. They were really fun yeah. to work with. Last three yeah. years. AJ, yeah. AJ Hitch was a good manager. Yeah. Um, the, that staff I worked with, the uh, yeah. you know, last athletic trainer I worked with was wonderful. Um, but it was, um, yeah, there were some challenges yeah. know, on that side that, that, that I really, yeah. again, had not anticipated right. being that big of a challenge. Right. From the time you got the job with the Astros, Jake, until they won the World Series and you were a part of that team, mm -hmm. what was the big change uh, other than acquiring great players from a cultural standpoint? What did you say? Sure. So my first year, I was there five seasons. First year, we were 51 and 111 wow. was our record. It was like the third worst record in the American League ever at that time. Um, but then my fifth year, my last year, we, we were 101 and 61 in the regular season. And so we had a 50-win improvement from my first to last year. Wow. Um, of course, we were more talented, but yeah. we were not 50 wins more talented. Yeah. You know, we were maybe... 25 more wins talented. I mean, Jose Altuve was on that first team. Yeah, right. you know, Dallas Keuchel was on that first team. George Springer was in the minors for us. I and mean, we had, not all certainly, but some of the components. Yeah. Um, but what did change was the level of preparation. I mean, like a guy like uh, Jose Altuve is a great example. He's probably my favorite athlete I've ever worked with because um, he was certainly massively talented, but also understood. You know, my, his, my first year there, he, he hit 280. Mm -hmm. and just kind of hit 280 by just showing up to the park every day. And yeah. he could have had a 15-year major league career by just showing up to the park every day. Yeah. But he decided decided he wanted to be better and be more focused and you know, talked to me really seriously about changing his body, did the same thing with the hitting coaches about changing his stance and approach and some things like that, and came back here too when he hit 345 and uh, yeah. won the batting title and ended up being an MVP a few years later, and it was – you know, that kind of mindset that, okay, I want to really maximize what I can do. AJ Hinch was a really good uh, manager at bringing that out. And he's a good tactical manager, but he's also has a degree in psychology from Stanford. And he was able to put that to use pretty effectively. Just to, the big, biggest thing about baseball was that it's such a relentless schedule. One of the hardest things to do was to, you know, just like get players in, these, in good routines and understand that you have to mentally, physically prepare yourself 162 times a year to play. And so, the, but just getting people to get in the routine of like, I'm going to take every day seriously. I'm going to take the seven or eight minutes of a prep routine in the weight room, a warm up before I go in the batting cage and hit. I'm going to take that seriously, even if it's just for little periods of time. Yeah. And then, you know, to try to relax other times, just to be the consistency that it takes to right. certainly become a playoff team, which we did. Yeah. We were in the playoffs my third year. Um, won the wild card game and then lost in the first round of the Royals who ended up winning the World Series that year. But we, I think that year we won 86 games, so we still got 15 games better. Right. You know, again, the t talent was a part of that. Um, having some veterans that help out. Carlos Beltran was a huge acquisition for us that year, not on the field, but off with yeah. the clubhouse and everything. Yeah. Uh, Brian McCann was great uh, as well. It just, it really helped with you know the, the atmosphere where people knew that they had to take things more seriously, take every a random Tuesday night game against the worst team in our division in right. May when no one's there. Right. That, hey, take this game just as seriously as you're going to take yeah. you know, the, the, the most high-profile series throughout the year. And, and it right. paid off. It really, right. it really did. 
Hey Jake, for any for any like high school kids or college kids watching this who don't know about strength and conditioning, when you're a major league baseball mm-hmm. strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, in, in my mind, I picture a strength and conditioning coach as the guy who comes out and he gets the basketball or the football team, you know, riled up and gives them their workout and all that. But when you're in the major leagues, are you are you um, conducting group workouts or are you conducting individual workouts um, prior to the game or during the season and all that? You know what I mean? Sure. So it's a little bit of both. I'll talk. I'll talk off season first. So I, I was fortunate as a major league strength coach being, being in Houston, a warm weather city where they don't make you pay um, income tax that yeah. um, I had a lot of players who stayed. They were major league players. Okay. Um, so I got to work at out with our guys, you know, and not all of them of the 25 man roster. I, I, I probably had six to eight guys in a given year okay. uh, that stayed, which sounds like a really small thing, but I got right. to at least do small groups. Right. Um, then and do a true off-season program and, and you know establish right. some of those things um right you know, certainly moving forward physically but also the consistency we're talking about right a lot of other people don't have that luxury you know yeah. like I, I love the midwest but uh the players for the detroit tigers and cleveland indians yeah. and milwaukee brewers they don't right. stay in those cities <laughs> right. right right so there's a lot of strength coaches that yeah. have to travel around and do individual they right. go visit the players in the off-season at their homes right um and i never had to do that i could actually train guys in a group um, but then you get into spring training and it's, it's kind of a combination of off season training and in season training at that point, okay. um, that you build up to after, you know, a few weeks of spring training, you're, you're in in season mode. And, okay. and so when you're in, in season training mode for baseball, again, you're playing every day, you're practicing every day, essentially. And so you have to be really good with your volume and pick your spots. Well, uh, so there's essentially three groups of people you have, you have your starting pitchers who mm-hmm. only play once every five days. Okay. So then you can work really hard on their non-playing days. And it's certainly, you know, if you have five guys in your rotation, they're all five at a different point yeah. into the rotation. So, you know, you have to do something different with them every day. Okay. Um, position players are all a little bit different as well. Okay. Um, so that's any, any non-pitcher that's on the roster. You okay. know, you have typically a fourth outfielder, a backup infielder, a backup catcher, and maybe okay. one more player, uh, depending on how the – team constructs their roster where right. they're not playing as much so you got to right. make sure you do a little extra speed work and all these things um but the programs i i tried to have people lift before games early right. um and honestly just do it part of their warm-up where yeah. again you're doing appropriate volumes yeah. you can do high intensities but you can't do a lot of volume right uh then the other group is the relievers the relief yeah. pitchers who yeah like you'll go out and usually have them run all as a group after they play catch sure. um and a lot of those guys would just come in and do lifts after yeah. they pitch yeah. um, or just kind of pick a day and say, hey, yeah. Tuesdays and Fridays are always night games, so we would come in and lift then. So sure. um, you are predominantly doing individual training because okay. one of the benefits of working at the major league level in professional yeah. sports period is that right. you have this big staff, right? So if the right. 25 players that we would have, and usually we had a couple more like injured guys that were around the team. Yeah. I mean, so let's just say 27 players. You know, I had myself, I had a full-time assistant, yeah. Um, my last year anyway. Right. And then we had a, three people on the training side and a massage okay. therapist, a chiropractor that would come in a couple of times at home stand. You know, okay. you have all these resource sports scientists that would okay. give us help help us with some of the data. Mm-hmm. We just had all these resources so we could individualize things on a level that you know, somebody like Mike Winkler, who's got, sure. got himself and a couple part time assistants and sure. eight hundred eight hundred kids coming in there sure. can't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so so yes, you individualize a lot. Okay. Um, you also you're just able to get so much more information about the yeah. players from yeah. 
movement screens, injury history. Right. You get such a huge range of ages. I mean, on yeah. that team and uh, the World Series team, Carlos Beltran was 41 and sure. Car- Carlos Correa was 22. Yeah. You know, and they're all, yeah. you know, different backgrounds. So yeah. you, you, it's really, you have to individualize. Right. Um, right. And fortunately, you have the resources to be able to do it. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, Jake, is there had to be a ton of detail work and organizational work that you put in here um, before you ever got to the tip of the iceberg, which is actually working somebody out. Am I am I am I correct in yes. that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, is the short answer. So okay. there was again, and it grows every year. Honestly, as the technologies get better, and uh, you know, we're able to get more information through you know what now is being called sports science, where you have. Yeah you know, force plates and GPS and all these other things, all these, these great, you know, computer systems and programs. So we can, you, you can monitor all this stuff quickly. Right. Um, yeah. So like we'd meet every day as a, yeah. as a medical staff with, you know, myself, my assistant, the head trainer, assistant trainer, physical therapist. Okay. Uh, sometimes those meetings were short Yeah. and sometimes they were much longer. Um, a lot of times the meetings were, you know, sitting on the airplane going to the west coast yeah you know talking about what we were going to do right um the, you know, walking back from a ballpark after a game yeah you know that that kind of thing um is, is when a lot of it happens as well so some of it was formal some of it was informal but yeah it's uh yes so those jobs are very all-consuming okay at, you know, working at the yeah. at the major league level yeah um, very all-consuming you're just you're on yeah. all the time jake from your interactions with jay hinch what are two or three things that you picked up from him about building team and culture mm-hmm. and uh, just dealing with so many personalities at the major league level? So uh, understanding people's differences. And, um, you know, I, he, he was good at something that um, I got talked to about, that I, I should say I learned about, you know, in my first year as a, as a minor league coordinator. Again, I said I was 23 when I got a role as a supervisor. You know, some of the guys I was supervising were 40 years old and, you know, far more ahead in their career, far more experience than I was. And one of the things my boss at the time um, on the front office side, a man named Ross Atkins, who I mentioned earlier, is the general manager of the Blue Jays now. You know, I talked about, hey, you, you all have to be willing to have difficult conversations with people. Doesn't mean you have to seek them out. Doesn't mean you have to always be, you know, looking to, looking to rage and fight with people. But if you want to make people better, you have to be willing to have difficult conversations with people and, you know, certainly work through the best ways to do that and all that. And that was, so that was something that I, I had seen early in my career, but I, you know, AJ was really good at, he could, you know, he, he had a great background, very unique that he had played about eight years in the big leagues. You know, again, certainly helped. He's highly intelligent. Um, you know, had a degree from Stanford and all that, but he had also managed previously before that he had also been, a front office person, assistant general manager had actually filled in as an interim general manager when his boss got fired uh, back with the Padres. So he could talk to anybody. He could talk to a player on a player's level. He could talk to um, a front office guy on their level and knew like a lot of the minutia about player moves and rules and things like that. So like the ability to go to other people's level, don't expect them to come to you was something that he did really well. And also again, just not being afraid to, do it you know like don't don't put off that conversation that you're 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 dreading having just you know go and do it prepare yourself in a way so you know you know what you're trying to accomplish out of it know who you're talking to um jake go from there how have you developed in that skill what were you like when you first started it and what's your what's your style now although maybe you don't have to do it as much now but 
yeah, I don't, I certainly don't have to do it as much now. Um, you know, I mean, I'm for, fortunate with like the, the kids I work with at John Carroll. I mean, it's a, it's a good, they're, they're a good group. And most of the classes I teach are like the 400 level. So I, I'm getting juniors and seniors who are pretty motivated and, and really get an idea of what they want to do in their careers. But some, I think it's the same thing, really just, you know, being honest with people in ways that, you know, are fair. You know, maybe they don't want to hear it sometimes. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was tough for me at first um, when I became a major league strength coach to really stay on people sometimes about, Hey, like, you know, I, I, I chose to come back to baseball. I, I, I was in the college setting, like I said, in South Florida and I, it was too much for me in terms of, there was a lot of screaming. Um, that was part of the culture that the head football coach wanted was no longer there. Um, he actually got fired the next year for punching a player in the face during halftime of the game. Oh my so gosh. Could, are yeah, you so kidding was, me? So, the, so are you saying screaming may not re, uh, may not result in uh, good behavior sometimes? Yeah, or punching players in the face either. Sure, so sure. FYI for yeah. all the coaches listening. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So, so I knew this is too much. Like, I don't want to do this. I like being able to talk individually one-on-one. Right. Um, you know, the group training and stuff, that is fun too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's fun to, you know, get a big group in the weight sure. room and have people, you know, really getting after it. It's, right. It makes for a nice training atmosphere. But, um, I knew that I wanted to be able to do more one-on-one, more individual. And one of the things I learned early on was that if you're going to be able, you, you, you want to hold people to their own standards. So when sure. you get a major league guy in, Again, there's certainly some ego involved. So one of the best ways that you're going to know someone is to say, okay, you tell me what your routine is. And, you know, like I, I said this a lot, particularly when I took the job with the Astros and uh, then when I would work, get a new player required, it was, okay, you tell me what you do because, yeah. you know, you've established yourself as a successful player, major league right. player. Right. Uh, it's not fair for me to just come sure. in and tell you to change everything without learning what you do first. Wow. Yeah. And then if a player says, okay, well, I lift every Tuesday and Friday. Right. And then Tuesday, they're just they're just chilling in their locker, looking <laughs> like they're not going to get up. They're like, hey, you told me you you told me you lift on Tuesdays. Sure, sure. And being able to hold them to their own standard right, um, right. is a really good way to get things set up yeah, and established. Yeah. And then yeah. they know they're like, all right, this guy's not going to let me <laughs> off. And and right. also he listened, like he listened yeah. to what I told him. So yeah, um, that was something a strategy that helped me yeah. to to kind of get it started initially. Yeah. Jake, I like what you said there about style because I, I, I wanted I wanted to ask you this earlier. Um, you were an extremely intense athlete, um, and and I, I just saw you as a great high school football player. So I know you had aggression in you because you have to be if you're a linebacker. However, I, I don't see you personally from afar, anyways, as a big rah rah guy. Um, you're you're funny, but you're you're kind of low key in a, in a way. How does that vibe with this culture of a strength coach kind of has to be this, um, I don't know, over the top. I don't want to say you have to be a yeller, but this this over the top, loud. Um, the Instagram strength coach? Yes. Like, yes. That, that model? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and I guess once you finish that part of the, of the question, I, I kind of want to say, okay, let's say you are the, the, a football strength coach or you are um, at a college or a high school now. Can you can you be can you just be Jake Biting or do you have to? Uh, and, and I'm not saying that you won't get intense. I know you're very intense. I'm not talking about intensity, but um, I, I like the fact that you're you and it still works. And I guess I just want you to talk about that. Sure. Uh, well, again, 
you debate how well it worked. I got fired, <laughs> you know, you know, certainly got turned down for more jobs than I've gotten. Right. Which is, yeah. I'm sure I'm not alone in the coaching world there, but, um, you know, I, so to your point, I, I had a really interesting experience. And so when I did get let go, I was fortunate. I had a year on my contract. So I got fired on my son's fifth birthday. It was January 18th. Yeah. And I had a year left to be paid. And right. so, was like okay well let's make something out of this so i went in i was we were still in houston the boys were finishing up school yeah before we the strength coaches at rice university down there at the university of houston i went to the um the collegiate strength conditioning coaches associations big meetings were in texas that year so i went there um and i through that process i also was interviewing at ohio state for a, a job on the olympic sports side that I, I didn't get but i went through like four rounds of interviews i spent a few days on campus being interviewed by literally everyone in their department and then some there's over 20 interviews i did um and that was a big point i think one of the one of the major reasons i'm sure there are plenty that i didn't get the job was that they were concerned that well you didn't come from like a yelling screaming background like their perception that they had of like someone from professional baseball or you know like an nba strength coach is that you're a personal trainer right and you know you can't really work with groups which is funny because i it was eye-opening because i i had the opposite yeah. That like you're a Neanderthal screaming at people, not actually doing programming. <laughs> There's no individualization. Right. And I, you know, I, I realized going through that pro- that process at Ohio State that I was wrong. And yeah. Again, the business I'd done in Houston and 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 Rice and everything. I, I appreciated more the situations okay. that you're in. Okay. And how you you adapt to them, right? Yeah. And so yeah. again, like I, the two different major league managers I worked under, one of them had been a All Big Ten safety at wow. Iowa in okay. addition to a baseball player. And he had a much, very much had a football player mindset okay. and wanted me to be a little more intense. Like wanted me just for example, in the daily stretch to yeah. be really on top of guys and hard. Okay. And you know, you can do that a little bit more. Sure. sure. The other manager. So for me, as a strength coach, like, sure. you should fit in sure. with the culture of the team you're with and okay. the sport you're with. Right. Okay. And there needs to be, everybody can oscillate a little bit. And sure. so again, I, I chose to work in baseball. Sure. I chose to come back. I could have stayed in South Florida sure. or more aggressively pursued college options, but I chose sure. to stay, yeah. come back to baseball because I knew it fit my personality better. Yeah. yeah. And I could go around and do more individual work. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, it works for me because again, I, I find that a lot of the intensity that I had as an athlete, I mentioned this earlier, I needed an avenue for it. And so like that right. volume of preparation that you need to do and the depth of, yeah. knowledge you need to have and like you right. know, I I enjoyed challenging myself every day as a major strength coach to say okay can I talk to all 25 guys individually today right right some of it just quick and passing yeah. some of it more yeah. extended maybe yeah. with a pitcher who wasn't pitching I could sit on the bench and yeah. talk to them for a while but can I yeah individually have a conversation with each guy right to get more info about that guy to get make him feel unique and special and everything right. and, and then continue to grow them. So right. I mean, they just, again, I found like the intensity just manifests itself differently. Correct. You know, and, and, Correct. and for me, that worked well enough yep. for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, until just the total volume of things, I, it right. started to kind of burn me out a little bit. Right. You know, with time I was, I, I, I need a little bit of a break yeah. when, and I got it, you know, right. not by my choosing, but it ended up being a very good thing <laughs> right. for me to have, right. to have a, a bit of time to decompress and, you know, come back with a little more energy. Yeah. Jake, you, you've mentioned, I don't know, three or four times, uh, in a very humble manner that it just ultimately didn't work out. Mm-hmm. 
use the word, you know, you were let go, the phrase or the word you were fired. Um, I've, I've, I'm a coach who's been fired before mm-hmm. and not just once. Um, you had just won a World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, were you given a reason why that made sense to you at the time? And in retrospect, do you you consider it a blessing and maybe part of God's greater plan for you? So, yeah, no, I, I, I expected to be fired, but I expected it to be at the end of the season. I, I had challenged my boss pretty hard um, in the front office. Um, I got a guy who meant well, certainly. Um, he was, before he became my boss, he was doing like marketing for a medical sales device company. Uh, didn't have much content knowledge. Again, smart guy, very hard worker. Um, but just, it was very clear that we had different perspectives on, you know, the best path moving forward for the strength and conditioning department. Um, and, you know, the front office is undefeated. It was a, it's a <laughs> saying that people use in, in baseball. So when you challenge them, and, and I, I, mean, I was pretty open to challenge them. Because again, I, I knew there was a couple of things. I knew, like, number one, I had some things working in my favor that, like they couldn't take away the rest of my contract if they were going to fire me. Um, I knew there needed to be some change in, in, in our life. I mean, I, I was not feeling good physically. Um, you know, just having had the twins and grown our family to four, you know, in dirt, which was happening at the end of the 2015 season, we needed some kind of change to happen. And so, um, so from the, is it a blessing sort of thing? Um, it certainly worked out pretty well. Again, I was mentally ready to do, to go through that next season and see what happened the 2018 season, but, uh, it didn't, didn't happen. But, but no, I, I, I yeah, no, I, I was not surprised. I was a little surprised by the timing, but I knew, yeah, we just, we disagreed. Um, I'm stubborn enough that I was going to stick to what I felt was right. I mean, which again, I mentioned kind of a passing earlier that I could have done a better job of communicating the way we were changing the program every year to the front office. And frankly, I, like, I was, I was too tired to do it. Like I, I would have had to have gone in, you know, every day I would leave my house. Yeah, you know, people talk about like, oh, it's nice when you're at home, right? Like the road trips are really hard. But when you're at home, you don't get days off and you go in at noon and you come back home after midnight every night. So it's not like I I was seeing my kids a lot, particularly once my oldest got to be school age. I'd drop them off. I'd wake them up, eat breakfast, drop them off at school. And that was it, 30 minutes a day at home. So, you know, there was, I wasn't going to go in a couple hours earlier to just go meet with my boss regularly and do again i i could have done a better job of communicating some of the way we were changing and updating and the whys behind certain things uh, particularly having a non-practitioner as a as a boss um that you know maybe, maybe would have would have helped things but but no i i i again, i was not surprised to be like oh i i've been fairly aggressive with uh my stance on some things um over the previous two seasons especially yeah. You've also mentioned your wife several times and the mm-hmm. sacrifices that she's made and how important she was in your journey. And, and that's something that both TK and I can relate to. And any coach, high school, college professional can relate to as well. Can you talk a little bit about how in order to be a teacher coach, you have to have a spouse who is in complete, I guess, partnership with you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, and the partnership for me, so Maggie is my wife, um, Scott, I know that, I don't think you've met her, but I know TK has, mm-hmm. um, I, we started dating at the very end of freshman year of college. Uh, I think the last weekend of school, we went out for the first time and she was a basketball player at John Carroll. 
Um, she coaches basketball now. She coached our, our son's third grade team. She coached the eighth graders girls last year at St. Hillary. So fortunate that I, you know, with someone that was, you know, she was, she's from Buffalo. She was her high school's athlete of the year, you know, her senior year. So she very athletic family. I played uh, football in college with her older brother. Um, so that helps yeah. uh, that she understands that and has a passion for it. Um, right. You know, the same way I do. Um, but she's, yeah, she's always been, she knew how driven I was with a lot of this and, you know, frankly, beyond just supporting and, you know, being willing to move around, it was also just as a resource. I mean, she's very smart and also much more street smart than I am uh, being honest and sees a lot of things that I don't see, particularly when I took over as a, you know, in a supervisor role for the first time, um, her being, you know, frankly, a little bit more human than me uh, <laughs> was incredibly useful as we talk right. through the best way to handle things. Um, right. So, yeah, no, it, it's been essential to this. Yeah. And again, that was part of why we needed to get back. You know, she was she had worked for State Farm as an underwriter for years when I was doing my thing with the Indians. And then yeah. we she was seven months pregnant with our second when I got the job at the Astros. So nobody was going to hire her when we moved yeah. to Houston yeah. really with you know, fresh off of that. So she didn't work for a few years and, mm-hmm. you know, now being able to move back here, she's back in the workforce and, yeah, you know, got going again and everything just with her own career. It's been, yeah. it's been really nice to be able to, you know, let her do her thing again. I had a chance to watch her coach her eighth grade girls over at St. Hillary and she does, she does a great job. I can tell she was really happy, uh, be, being on the sidelines, not, not when they were down, but, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but I could tell she was enjoying the moment over there. So that was really cool to see her. Yeah. 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 An opportunity. Um, Jake, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I'm just curious and not, not specific to the Astros, I guess. I, is there pressure on strength and conditioning coaches in, in, in professional sports, major league baseball, et cetera, to do some things with the athletes that aren't necessarily in their best interest? Yes. To be clear, like easy, hard. Yes. <laughs> so it depends organization to organization. Right. Okay. And it's been really, really interesting as technology has improved and there's more monitoring that you can do. So that's the term right. athlete monitoring, right? Where you, you get all this data on them all the time. Yeah. Some of it, some of it is wonderful and yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, great and you know made yeah. me a better strength coach be better to program uh, and all that right some of it you know a lot of these companies pop up and they're defunct a year later because their right. equipment didn't work so you have right. to be very careful you have to know how to do these things right right but the i heard i heard someone give a talk about um using data in sports and they they talked about are you really using it to try to help the athletes or are you using it to, are you, are you weaponizing it right. in a way that it's used for contract negotiations? So right. like just as an example, we had players who were, there's a, the name is escaping me right now, but there's a sensor you can put on the end of the baseball bat on the, the handle, end of the handle. And it measures your speeds, the speed of your swings and the path of your swings. And we had a bunch of players refuse to use it. Yeah. And our front office was really struggling with, well, why wouldn't they use it? It's really, it's good data and all that. And you know, a coach relayed this to me that they communicated to the front office. It's like, okay, well, Jose Altuve, if you right. saw his swing speed went down by two miles an hour every year for three years, right. would you, would you offer him less money the next year? They're like, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, Hey, the players know that. <laughs> like, yeah. like the players know that. So of course they're not going right. to do this. Right. So there's actually rules built yeah. in to the collective bargaining agreement in major league baseball that players, you can't mandate players use wearable technology, all these things that were really 
fairly controversial and frankly part of the arguments i was having with the front office about right you know again you get back to coaching generally speaking do you view coaching as a a partnership with the athletes where you're working together or do you view it as i am above the athletes and i they're going to do what i say and that was kind of the uh, frankly that was the crux of a lot of my disagreements right. with the, the front office of the Astros who yeah. mostly aren't there anymore that yeah. um, they viewed it far less of, of a partnership yeah. than I did. Jake, so, I'm sorry. Right. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, so yeah, So again, yes is the answer. And a lot of it, yeah. yeah it's not, and, and frankly, it is tough. Like your job yeah. as a strength coach, you are employed by the team. Yeah. And your job, again, most coaches get into coaching because they want to help people. Right. And so, yeah, right. you're trying to help the athletes. Right. But also, like, you do want to help, yeah. you know, with all your testing data and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. of course I'm going to, like, share that with the front office because it helps right. make decisions, right? It's a good way to create buy-in for yeah. or value with your program. If you can say, hey, you know, here are the physical standards that we need um, a draft prospect to have to right. make it to the major leagues, right? Right. That we've never had an infielder, middle infielder who, you know, has less than – um, a four uh, who's slower than four three down the line, right? right. To first base, right? If you could just establish some things like that, sure. it's great and helpful, and yes, helps the front office. So at right. times you are a little torn, yeah. but it's just a matter yeah. of how far you could pull yeah. in one direction yeah. or the other. Jake, um, you said front office, and now I want to go down to the field with coaches who are still, mm-hmm. like you said, either working in partnership. But ultimately, they're in charge of the team, so maybe they're still an old-school mentality where they're a little bit – they're the boss. Okay, let's just say they're the boss on the field, the manager mm-hmm. of, of a ball team. And even in high school athletics, sometimes I've had this where you, 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 you're superstitious a little bit as, as a coach. And like you, you, let, let's say it's Monday and we play on Tuesday, and, and I want to go down there and tell Winkler, hey, can we go a little bit lighter today, man? My guys are tired. I, mm-hmm. you know, I want to make sure uh, Johnny's shooting it well tomorrow. And uh, Or let's say we played on Tuesday and we lift on Wednesday, and now I go in there and maybe I'm pissed a little bit because I think what we did on Monday hurt us. You know, we were dragging. We weren't. You know, do you did you get into any of that with, with coaches? I'm wondering or managers. You know oh, what I sure, mean? Oh, sure, yeah. Is there that is yeah. there is there that tug of war at at that level, or is that just down where I am? No, it still happens, and I would okay. say less on the professional level, less yeah. in baseball specifically. Okay. Baseball is a different sport, but you're not okay. necessarily tied to the manager okay. the way that like a football strength coach is tied to a football coach. Okay, it's a little bit different, but. Okay. But yeah, like I, like I think about um, again. I was in Winter Haven, Florida, for the Gulf Coast League rookie rookie ball. My my first full year working for the Indians full time, yeah. and you know I th- have a memory of a of a kid running not running out of ground ball. The games were all played at noon, right. and you know in July in Florida, right. so you can imagine Central Florida what the weather was like. Yeah, and the kid didn't run out of ground ball. It got thrown out. Um, actually, he. He did get thrown out, but the guy at the first baseman dropped the ball at first, okay. and so he would have been saved if he had ran hard. Kind of sure. classic situation, yeah. right? Yeah. And so after the game, there was like a three-and-a-half-hour game in, in this horrible heat and humidity. Right. The, co- the coach made all the um, made all the position players come out and do sprints down the first baseline, wow. basically until they couldn't anymore. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I had it out with him pretty good after yeah. the game. They're like, yeah. hey on a couple levels like one i'm a i'm a big believer in not using running as punishment because right. it as a right. strength coach it yeah. sets a negative connotation with exercise yeah that mm. when you're bad you have to exercise right and so there's right. a lot of the a lot of kids are really into working out that's great it doesn't matter right. when you, you do things like sure. that but for kids sure. that are on the fence or don't yeah. like it yeah. they negatively associate so i yeah that for me was important not to do okay. also for a health and safety thing so yeah. yes it does happen some yeah 
but not as bad and not okay. as bad. And for the most part, again, so where it's your job as a strength coach to make sure you're educating, you're talking as much as you need to talk to the players. You got to sure. talk to the staff, sure. the staff too, and make sure they know what yeah. you're doing and yeah. that you know what they're doing. So yeah. you understand like, how can I yeah. integrate into what you're trying to do with this pitcher? You know, yeah. and what are you trying to do with him? Can I help in, a, yeah. in any way? And that, that right. can create just a ton of buy-in. Yeah. Jake, I want to start to segue um, more too, and we lost you on video, but hopefully we can still, there you go. Yeah, um, you're good. I want to segue a little bit more to uh, today's young athlete and some issues in there. But before I quite go there, before we take that jump, I guess, you know, you you won a World Series. I mean, you were part of a team that won a World Series. <laughs> that, that's pretty dang incredible. I mean, I, I, first of all, did you ever imagine that, that you would be on TV for those games? And that, that was, it was so fun watching you during the warm-ups and all that. And then, and then secondly, you know, my big question after that is, you know, did you learn what it takes to win? I mean, you know, did you learn something about that that maybe you could share with us? Because none of us have ever won a World Series, you know? Sure. sure. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, so I'll tell you, after my first two years yeah. in the major leagues, yeah. no, I never thought that there was any chance in hell <laughs> that we'd be, right. we'd be sniffing it. Right, um, right. And, you know, it, it, it was it was really special. It was absolutely exhausting. Yeah. to go through emotionally, yeah. physically, uh, just, yeah, it was a lot. It was, it was, uh, like, frankly, it was almost more of a relief than it was joy. Wow. Uh, when we did finally win, um, wow. took a while to sink in. There was, that it, it was real. I tell you, just a sidebar here. It was really cool. I thought like when I got back into Houston and after that, um, and was doing basic things like dropping my son off at school or right. seeing you know, my neighbors and stuff, people who knew what I yeah. did. Yeah. I thought I would get a lot of people coming up and asking me, Hey, yeah. tell me, uh, tell me everything about it. What yeah. was it like? What yeah. you guys do afterwards? All right. this stuff. Right. But what actually happened was that I had people coming up to me and telling stories about like, this is what I was doing. Right. Or right. I was watching with my dad who's been right. a season ticket holder for years. It was really cool just to see how important it was to people. Sure. And, they just wanted to share that. Yeah. And that it, it was really unexpected. I, yeah. I, I, I was really caught off guard. It was, it, was, right. it was a cool part of it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what it takes, um, obviously again, we were, we, we were talented, you know, that team has since then been back to the world series and within a couple games of it, one of the other years I was, I, since I've been gone, um, a little bit of luck, you know, like in our, in our series against the second series that we played, we, we beat the crap out of the Red Sox in the first round, but then in the, we we got lucky against the Yankees. There, yeah. our our catcher picked a couple balls out of the dirt on yeah. the place of the plate, got a tag down, and their catcher didn't. Yeah, and so we could have just as easily been swept as we did yeah. beat them. So absolutely, that's yeah. part of it. You know about that. I mean, from the final oh, yeah. four game, you guys lost. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, can hit a good <laughs> shot, but it was a lucky play, right? Right, right. Um, and and then at the end of it, there was the the other factor and the controllable factor is just you know how hard. And I almost don't like the word word hard work, yeah. um, but yeah. how consistently, and how sure. intelligently do you work? Because right. if you're a baseball player and you try to grind in the weight room every yeah. day, yeah. you're toast. You're going to yeah. ruin your season, yeah. right? And so understanding that, you know, hey, it's the grind I need to go through is right. I, I need to foam roll every day, yeah. right? Yeah. Which no, it's not sexy. It's not going to look good on if I post sure. this workout on Instagram, <laughs> right? Like. Right. It's not going to be cool, yeah. but like those are the things that if you feel a little bit less crappy than you yeah. did the day before, it yeah. might be enough of an edge to get you past it, right? right. And, and 
Right. That's what it was for us. I mean, we yeah. won the American League Seri- Championship Series with seven games. The World Series with seven games. I mean, right. we yeah. e- eked it out. And it yeah. was just, like I said, it was some, some lucky bounces. But a yeah. lot of it was just yeah. our guys learned how to be professionals and be yeah. consistent every day. Yeah. And that's that's what it was. It just that they, yeah. they were fairly relentless. Yeah. In, in like a non-sexy way, relentless right. with their rolling routines and yeah. like ice baths after games. Right. You know, and right. that's it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a big, it's big. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it seems like an easy basic thing, but just yeah. teaching people to be consistent. Yeah. Jake, understanding yeah. that every day is, I would say, the biggest yeah. thing. Jake, as you reflect on the experience, which, which it sounds like was full of highs, lows, exhaustion, perspective and all kinds of things i mean here you are a couple years away from it does it mean any more or any less as as you get a little bit farther away from it um, i definitely i appreciate how fortunate i was um to have experienced all of that i mean it certainly helped me because everything is a learning experience if you yeah. want to take it that way right yeah. um so i i, I appreciate the the challenges and also the uniqueness. I mean, I've got a lot of good friends that yeah. are great strength coaches that have done this for a lot longer than me yeah. um, that never even had a chance, you know, and right. some people that never got to go be even be part of a playoff team. Right. You know, and I got to do it twice in five years yeah. and it's just, you know, I was, I was very fortunate. I appreciate yeah. how unique of a situation I was in right. Right. Uh, to be able to do a lot of those things. So yeah. I, I certainly appreciate it more with some of the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, moving into a kind of, I guess, more some of the issues in youth sports today that, that Scott and I like to talk about or grapple with, um, one, one is one is special specialization uh, in, in youth sports. Um, wh- where do you see, and philosophically as a strength and conditioning coach, I know you're working out several youngsters in the area even mm-hmm. today just to stay in it in that way in addition to being a, a professor at John Carroll, but... Um, I'm just curious, what, what's your viewpoint on a strength and conditioning coach, especially from that angle, on, on kids who are specializing and maybe they're playing AAU basketball in the spring, winter basketball in the winter, they're playing summer basketball in the summer with their with their uh, camps and their AAU team still, and then they're in a fall league in the fall, and, and they're eight years old, you know? Um, so my view is that it sucks. Like, I, I just hate it. I absolutely yeah. hate it. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of multi-sport athletes. Yeah. We talk about in the the field of long-term athlete development is really interesting to me. There's a, yeah. you know, that acronym um, that gets used as LTAD. And there's been a lot of research that's been done on this right. uh, in more recent years. And it, there's a term called physical literacy okay. um, that gets used. So it's essentially okay. the same concept as when you're in elementary school, you don't pick a major, right? You right. don't only start studying math in fourth grade. Because then it's later on in life, if you need to start doing you know, sciences right. or English, whatever, you're right. really going to be unprepared for it. And yep. you're not going to be have the flexibility for it mentally that you need. Right. It's the same thing physically. So, yeah. you know, you, if you, let's say I'll use baseball as an example, because that's what I knew the best. That's a sport. If a sport like baseball, if you only played that, you, there's certain movements you don't really have to do. Like yeah. you don't back, you don't backpedal. Right, quickly. You don't, right. you know, have to shuffle and change directions very often the way you right. do. Right. Like I can tell you how many like um, middle infielders over the years we saw that couldn't quite get their hip feet down or couldn't quite right. move side to side, and right. there were kids that were baseball only kids their whole life. Yeah. How many like infield 
coordinators I had say like, oh my God, I wish this kid had played basketball growing <laughs> up, right? right just right. that move laterally. Yeah. And so you, you limit the skill set that you could have long term. Right. And then on top of that, you also set yourself up for injuries, yeah. you know, mental fatigue, which is, you know, one of the biggest ones. I mean, the dropout rates now for kids, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, before they even hit high school is so right. high. It's right. just crazy. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, certainly some of this reflects on my own personal story. Like I, when I think back, I mean, I played football and baseball all the way through high school. Yeah. Um, and I played freshman year of high school basketball. I mean, like right. the, other than like, giving no effort in, academically in high school the biggest <laughs> biggest big, biggest regret i have is not continuing to play basketball you yeah. just, i mean even for like taking out the physical development side of it you just right. don't get those opportunities back right right yeah exactly. you sit there sit yeah. there in your 20s and 30s and yeah it's like oh god i wish i had done this i wish i'd done that yeah. it just you know, be able to get out there and enjoy it and i understand it's hard I mean, I, the number of horror stories i have from you know some of these former players and i'm talking about major league athletes yeah. major league players who are the best athletes on the planet right have told stories about high school coaches who said, okay, um, football coaches who said, okay, well, you got to quit baseball if you want to be on the football team. <laughs> I had one kid that was first round draft pick right, after right. fresh freshman year of uh, high school. Right. He had already committed to the university of Texas to play baseball. He's like, he's like, I'm either going to UT or I'm going to get a million dollar signing. Bonus. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not quitting. Right. Right. And the coach is like, well, then you're not playing football. So like, <laughs> there's a, I hate, I hate to see it on the coach's side, but right. But it's it's really like I love seeing how many multi sport kids Hoban has right now. Like going and seeing football players that are you know Division one kids, yeah, still coming out to be, play basketball and right. like the, those kind of things. Like it's again good physically for development, yeah, mentally to give the break, but also it's fun too. Like yeah. it's fun to like go out and do these yeah. different things. And I, I hate the pressure. I hate seeing the pressure that parents get put under by right. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's AAU coaches, sometimes it's the high school coach, right. you know, travel ball right. coach, whatever it may be. Yep. That's you know makes them really con- concerned that if your kid doesn't do this, they're going to miss out. Correct. Yep. And that's yeah. And I can appreciate it like more than ever right now. I appreciate it like having a parent of a kid who's right. starting to play sports. I mean, still young, yeah. but yeah, you know, just I, I can see why parents think they have to really thread the needle that okay, right. my kid doesn't have the talent right to be a clear cut Division One kid, so they have to specialize. And it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it really backfires Absolutely. You know, more often than not. Jake, earlier you mentioned the great daily routine that a lot mm-hmm. of professional athletes have. Um, TK and I both have freshman sons who are high school athletes, and they play multiple sports in high school. Um, what would be like during this time, they're not with their high school coaches. They're mm-hmm. not with a strength coach because gyms are closed or they can't get into a high school facility. What are some things from a daily routine standpoint a multi-sport athlete in high school could be doing right now to be growing physically and not being, um, I guess, falling behind? Sure. So I'll, I'll start by asking you two a question as high school coaches working with both genders. How many of like what percent of your athletes would you say have a very good diet, and what percent sleep and enough, like more or less than ten percent? Less than ten. Less, yeah, yeah. So for anyone working with high school kids, I mean, that's the first thing that's for the most part under their control. That right. you don't need to have a, a home gym to get eight hours of sleep. Right. That if if you can do, if you're a high school kid, yeah, 
who does better, who sleeps better and eats better, yeah. you're, you're going to improve your performance so much yep. during that time. I mean, I, honestly, it's, so this is the thing I was challenged the elite athletes to do, you know, it's it kind of jarring for a lot of people when they get drafted to be around other people as talented as them. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked about like, yeah, it's cool. Again, it's kind of sexy to come in and work hard in the weight room. Right. But like, that's not enough. Like you yeah. have to be really good at sleeping and yeah. eating and these recovery strategies and things like that. Yeah. So if you can start by doing that, huge separator, yep. an absolutely huge separator. And then, yeah, physically, and the biggest thing, um, again, when we start talking about, it, I actually just did a video for um, MLB for their youth development initiatives about this, that you have to be ready to go, which is really hard right now because no one knows. You know, it's talking baseball specific. No one knows when baseball seasons will start, if they start at all. Hopefully right. they do. Right. But the some there will be a day, whether it's in the fall or whatever, that you guys will have to call your athletes and say, hey, we're going to practice in two weeks. Yeah. And as an athlete, one of the biggest concerns a strength coach has is doing too much too fast, not not ramping up your volume and intensity of work. Right. So right now, just getting out and doing, you know, like seeing like what, uh, like the workout videos Mike Winkler's posted on Instagram are a great example, right? How to yeah. do things around your house. Right. And of course, you're not doing like the max weights and things sure. like that that you would be doing in season, but yeah. you're prepared Right. You're preparing your body. You have a baseline of fitness there. Yeah. To say, okay, we're gonna we can accelerate as soon as we get the green light to start exercising again. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like I I was encouraging the baseball players right now. If you're a high school baseball player, you should be playing catch three days a week. Yeah. And getting out and running three days, four days a week, so that yep. when again when that call comes, where you say, okay, we got to start playing six days a week. Right. You've at least got a baseline there. Your body. Right. There's still going to be an adaptation period where you're sore those first couple weeks, but then. Right. Your body will adapt. It's better than okay. I'm out once or twice a week, yeah. playing catch, kind of a half-ass jog, maybe. Right. And then, okay, season starts. Let's go full bore. Yeah. People just aren't aren't going to make it. I mean, I think right. if you look back at the like the injury trends um, in the NFL over the last decade, mm-hmm. they had the one year where they the players there was a lockout, or I think yeah. um, either way there was a work stoppage where the only game they missed ended up being the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. But they missed summer training camp and they missed a lot of the off season programs yeah. and there was a huge spike in like Achilles tears and soft tissue injuries throughout the preseason right. um, that far far outpaced the other years. It was just it was because yeah. of that. It was trying yeah. to do too much too soon. So anyone yeah. working with high school kids or any high school kids themselves need to make sure they're going out now was doing some sprints, jogging three, four times a week just so they're ready to really accelerate and get going once once we are allowed to start going in groups again. Yeah. Jake, when you bring a young athlete in to, to work them out, um, do, do you um, do you have traditional things you do with them or are you assessing each athlete for his or her own um, you know uh, baseline and, and then going from there? Uh, and, and I'm speaking of, you know, in my mind, um, not being a strength and conditioning person, you know, I'm just thinking, do you always do lunges, squats, or some? Are there mm-hmm. some baseline traditional things, or are you kind of assessing, you know, where they are and, and just making it individual to them, kind of like you did for for Major League Baseball, so to speak? So, still trying to individualize it. Again, you okay. can start with like you can start by knowing, like you can start by you know relatively grouping people together, right? Yeah. So, yeah. okay, uh, Major League Baseball players everyone needed certain things and needed not to do certain things right. that were pretty like no one needed to be really super strong through their chest. Right. right. Um, no right. one needed to like 
go super heavy that way. So like we knew like there were certain things that were already off the table. Yeah. And then you do your individual assessments yeah. and start breaking it down even further from there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the same now. So okay. like I, you know, like the people I got coming over later today are yeah. um, a sixth grader and a third grader, the brothers. Yeah. Um, who don't play sports okay. and par- parents just want them to be physically active. So okay. when I when they first came in, um, there is a physical assessment I'll do. Okay. That, again, kind of kind of using a school analogy. It's you know when you do like placement tests on kids. Yep they don't just do one subject you do everything right so i yeah. need to know how flexible are you yeah. how powerful are you yeah the younger kids i don't do a strength assessment okay it's, just, it's not worthwhile sure. but but then there's a verbal component to it too where you get in and know okay what are your what's your injury history yeah. illness history yeah and then trying to figure out what are people's goals what yeah. they want to get out of it i mean yeah. I, that was something i learned yeah um, I did a little personal training on the side when I was in South Florida, like just to make a few bucks. Sure. And the guy that I worked under was really good about okay. figuring out what people's goals were. So like he okay. had a guy that wanted to be able to pass what the firefighters exam was. Not that he was yeah. going to do it. He sure. just, he thought, okay, they're, they're in good shape. So I want to do sure. that. And somebody yeah. else that yeah. wanted to okay. do something else. Right. So what does each person want? And then you go from there. So yep. you know, what do they want? Yeah. I'll look through the assessment and tell them if I think they need something different Right. once right. we do it and then okay. get into it. And so, okay. yeah, so there's some people that based off those assessments can go and start lifting right. weights pretty aggressively right away. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some that need to put the brakes on and need to do all body weight, need okay. to figure out how to, how to work, activate their core and use that okay. first. Uh, yeah. It just yeah. totally depends on the person. Okay. And, and Jake, in, in my world um, of high school athletics and especially basketball, there are many kids that will come in and ask me, um, they're a pretty good shooter, but they're a little bit unathletic and their lateral quickness does not allow them to stop the basketball that well. And they also are not the greatest leaper in the world. Okay. So their natural ability to jump is not tremendous and their natural ability to stop the ball with lateral strength and lateral Mm -hmm. movement is not that great. Um, and I know we have some basketball heads who, who do listen to this. We actually have 3,000 listeners, by the way, Jake. So we do wow. have some, somebody does listen to this. But, I wish you had told me that up front. I'm yeah. more nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my, my question is, what could that person do? So uh, a debate among strength coaches is on how important is running technique. And, you know, it's kind of easy to train um, to get in, like if you're trying to do group running, um, yeah. to work yeah. on a lot of form running, makes you feel like you're accomplishing something. Right. <laughs> and then you get out and you watch people like yeah. run around a basketball court. Right. You know, you see an infielder, or excuse me, you see a guy hit a going for a triple in baseball, and they're right. they're leaning way to their left, and they're doing right. the stuff that you don't really do. So there's uh, a debate amongst: is running technique more important, or is just improving a person's ability to be powerful and explosive? Gotcha more important and so what i would focus on you know and i'll give the caveat that unless if someone has like horrible ridiculous running technique you have to improve that okay but i think the types like that are better served to say i'm going to really focus on my explosiveness so um i need to train on how train how high you jump Um, a lot of like plyometric training and um to some degree lower body resistance training and and things like Olympic weightlifting and that Okay. Focus on not just how much power can you produce, right. but how quickly can you reduce it. So there's something called rate of force development, which right. is how quickly can your your brain send a signal to to your muscles to yeah. engage and activate. Got it. And a lot of those things are develop a lot over time, okay. but are 
there's things specific qualities that can be trained okay. and again where it helps to have a, a good strength coach that knows how to do those kind sure. of things but sure. um you know my focus would be on building that explosiveness not just through light plyometrics sure. but then also you know higher you know intensity plyometrics things yeah. like yeah. olympic weightlifting or yeah even if you have a medicine ball that you can go yeah. out in your yard and you know throw around some, my neighbors yeah. think I'm cra- crazy when I have to get <laughs> kids out in my yard throwing medicine balls around. But like yeah. those kind of things work. Yeah, they work. And, and right. you know, again, there's 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 a bit of a limit on that. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I was never, yeah. I was never gonna be a four five forty guy. Right. You know, and right. there there's some limits there, but yeah. Um, yeah, but it's but they are trainable qualities that you right. can get better at. Right. Jake, you mentioned something that I really want to dig into because we ask a lot of our coaches this, and, and you mentioned that you hate to see um, players being given physical fitness for negative reinforcement during a practice. And some of your old school basketball coaches, especially probably when your brother played for me, if, if we did something wrong back in my first 10 years, we would get on the lines and run. Um, and, and, and that's the way I did it for my first 10 years because that's what I knew. Um, now, in, in, in my last – in my uh, – my, my more recent years, we don't do that as much. If, if you lose a contest, perhaps there's, there's a down and back consequence sure. and we might do some push-ups here and there. I try to keep them to one to two to three to four push-ups, not, not 25, <laughs> which I think sure. I might've done in the nineties, uh, <laughs> which is, which, which doesn't sound very smart, but I'm just curious, you know, you go into a practice and you, you see Tom Izzo or somebody going crazy and they're, and they're getting on the lines and they're running a little bit. Some of the coaches that we've had on still believe in it. Um, tell me what you would do to raise the intensity of a practice, be it football, basketball, baseball, when, when it's not going well without putting them on the lines, as they say in the old school. Yeah. Way. Now I, I will say there, there is a time and place where you have to, okay. uh, um, I just, okay. One thing I've challenged coaches I've worked with before is okay. to be creative and yeah. see, is that the quickest, is that the best solution? Are there other solutions that you could come up with? Like, okay. Okay. You know, whether it be, and, and I'll say like a great example of it had, I, I told the story about the rookie ball manager running yeah. guys after a game. Yeah. You know, the next year, what he chose to do instead was he made guys that got in trouble do laundry, do the other players laundry. So help out the clubhouse <laughs> attendant. So they right. had to go around or they had right. to clean the clubhouse and like yeah. you know, he even made them clean like the vans they used for transportation, do clubhouse duties. Right. 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 Um, Things like that that serve yeah. some practical point, but were also yeah. like really embarrassing. I remember right. um, seeing that happen in the, during spring training one yeah. time. Minor league players having to go and clean the major league players' locker room and going in and having <laughs> right. to give the players their their dirty clothes, you know, their yeah. clean clothes, things like that. That were really embarrassing for them. Right. Um, but again, I, I'm a big believer that like in the the way you're going through drills and the, the, just the standard you're holding the players yes. to, yes. where if if you're telling them to you know, probably use some terms incorrectly here, but if you're having some, you know, teaching somebody how you want them to, to come around a, a pick yeah. and you want them to be really tight right. to the guy setting the pick yeah. and they're not, and you yeah. let it go. Right. I, right. I feel like that's on you as the coach. I mean, yeah. if you're consistently saying that this is the level right. of expectation I have, and again, this is kind right. of the challenge I spoke to about working in professional baseball that like you need to mentally bring it every day. Yep to not slack off and say like, all right, right. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, whatever I had, a, if you're a high school athlete, like, yeah, I had a bad test I'm thinking about or right. whatever, right. like being able to kind of clear your head yeah. when you get into the gym and say, this is yeah. what I am. Like, this is my life for the next hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. And I'm going to just be all in on everything I do. Right. I think is the, is the way to avoid having to yeah. kind of shock the system. And again, yeah. 
I, I mean, I'm certainly appreciative that I'm saying this, you know, with the experience of working, you know, with people in their late twenties and early thirties, right. it's, sure. they're a little more consistent than sure. 15 year olds and 16 year olds. But right. Right. Um, that, that, that it, to me, that's my way around it. Yeah. Yeah. So Jake, as you picked up all this, um, all this wisdom along the way, I, I, I guess, what are you encouraging your own kids to kind of get into in the world of, of sports? Um, and, and, uh, you know, where, where do you want their journeys to be shaped or how will your experiences help shape their journey, so to speak, as, as they get uh, interested in different sports? I, I'm assuming they, they play a few things right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, unfortunately, it looks like we're going to miss baseball season for Little League this year. But yeah. um, I mean, I, I just want them to find things that they really like yeah. and enjoy and, yeah. um, you know, not be afraid of being competitive, that it's okay right. uh, to try and um, to try and do some of these things. And yeah. Um, really to to try that's yeah. the biggest thing yeah. that and whether it's academically yeah. or whatever I yeah. mean, that's whatever they do that we want them to try hard yeah and yeah. understand that probably never going to be the most talented kid whether it's athletically academically whatever but right. we expect so just to set an expectation my wife and i've talked about this a lot over the years that you, you're going to maximize whatever your potential is right and whether that's to be a, a two-eight student or a, yeah. a three-eight student you know as long as the effort is there we'll we'll be as supportive and and, and proud yeah. as as anybody right. yeah um but certainly we've tried to expose them to as many different sports yeah. as we can yeah um, speaking earlier to the yeah the model we talked about i mean i'll, I'll get them in there uh, it's important for us too to try and see to model some healthy behaviors i, I need to do a better job of that with eating but yeah. with um it's that they it's very normal that they see us go out and exercise and right. going out going out for runs whatever it may be that that's right. that's just what you grow up, yeah. up with i mean i think back yeah. to growing up in my house that my parents worked really hard yeah they didn't really they didn't really talk about that a lot yeah but that's just what yeah. this is the norm is that my dad right. would work a, lo- a long day at, yeah. over first energy and then yeah come home and work in the yard for two hours. That's right. something that I, I've grown to appreciate now. Yeah. Cause I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I like, feel bad about it now. How, right. how, hard, how much of my, my mom put her life into, into yeah. open. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. That kind of thing has really stuck yeah. with me. And it's certainly something we hope to, to replicate with yeah. our kids that they certainly won't understand or appreciate for a long time, but right. um, hopefully it's something they yeah. look back on when they, yeah. as they become adults and parents themselves. So Jake, your your um, your 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 current life allows you to be the family uh, man that I think you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. It allows you to get back to your Northeast Ohio roots. Um, it also allows you to imp- influence people as a teacher in the teacher coach model at the university or at John Carroll University as a visiting professor. Um, it allows you to do some strength and conditioning training. You're working on your PhD, which you're almost finishing. Um, what what could be in your future once you get that that PhD? And for people who are in this field, um, this might interest you um, as to what opportunities there could be. And can you tell us the name of the of the doctorate program? Yeah, so I'm doing it at Kent State. Um, okay. They are this is kind of news to me before I started looking into it. They're they're really the only program in Northeast Ohio in any kind of field of exercise science. Okay, um, and so they've got a really well respected exercise physiology department. Okay. Um, and so that's the name of the degree, exercise physiology specifically, um, which so we'll get into a lot of like cellular level functioning of the body during exercise and things like that. Okay. Um, 
there are other doctoral programs you could do if you're interested in the field of exercise science yeah. um, in biomechanics or sports science. Um, yeah. Uh, but I've been really happy with the program with Kent so far. The okay. quality is really good. The instructors okay. are great. Um, and so I, really when you, when you get into this um, field, when I, when, I, when I got into it in 2004, it was very different than it is now. I mean, now I talked about it earlier that there's been this explosion in technology mm-hmm. and in sports. And so now there are people getting hired as sports scientists okay. where you're, you're doing a little more testing. You're dealing more with data. Okay. And even within that field, there's a lot of different skill sets of some people are an analyst slash sports scientist where they can write code and do all things like that. Okay. Um, and then there's people that are really high level physiologist types or biomechanists who can really break down the movement side of things. Um, and so professional teams are hiring, um, bio, you know, exercise physiologists, sports scientists. Um, mm-hmm. there are, you know, the division one level, the colleges have started hiring them more and more. I mean, yeah. that was, um, you know, Alabama took the head strength coach and the, um, sports scientist from Indiana university for their football program. Wow. And there was kind of a splashy one, uh, a yeah. couple months back, but so that's been a, it's been a growing field. So then that's like the performance side of things. You can okay. also stay the academic side of things, um, okay. which is a, certainly a, a fun challenging. You get a lot of, you know, it's, it's fun to see it again as, as you, you all are educators, you know this, but you know, seeing people that are really starting to figure out what they want to do and are like hungry to learn about it right. um, has been really rewarding. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something I'd say the, the consistency of the motivational level right. is higher yeah. amongst college students than it yeah. is among professional athletes, <laughs> which I, yeah. most people just assume that professional right. athletes are like all these type A personalities. It's right. absolutely not the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's hard sometimes for people to realize, like, if you've always been the most talented, if you've rolled right. out of bed your entire life and just yeah. been better than everyone by right. a wide margin, yeah. that sometimes you're not really that motivated. Yeah. Um, so I've enjoyed, it's been refreshing to not have right. to, you always get kids that you need to give a little kick sure. and butt to and everything, but sure. there's certainly, yeah. the, the, it's, it's fun to work with the people at that level who are really yeah. trying to get better and right. Um, right. Are very interested in something like how to apply the education yeah. in a practical sense, and that's something that certainly yeah. I'm, I'm able to give them right. when I teach a strength and conditioning class or the exercise uh, physiology. Excuse me, I teach ex- kinesiology, and yeah. um, I teach the ethics course, which is an interesting wow. one that's within cool. the exercise science department. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of different ways to apply the craft. Even, yeah. I mean, there's been a there's been a you know again in over the last ten years, especially yeah. there's been an explosion in wellness departments at at companies like Goodyear and absolutely you yeah. know bigger bigger companies like that that a lot of people yeah. I had to go one time the the owner for the Astros made me go to Exxon because they were huh. a corporate partner and give a wellness talk <laughs> and they had they had like five people that were yeah. their wellness wow. coordinators that were they yeah. were there too so it's just yeah yeah there's that's a whole field that you can yeah. get into it's it's a yeah there's a lot of different routes you can go it's a, really it's a yeah. great time and we're seeing a lot that yeah the department the exercise science major at john carroll has exploded wow um to where we have all these students who want to go they do that before they go into nursing or some some people into dietetics or occupational therapy some people just coaching coaching yeah you know just to understand the way the body works a little better before they get into coaching so right so it's it's um, once you get this doctorate degree, I know you just answered it in a way, Jake, but I'm, I guess more specifically, like what, what are four or five options if you chose to um, want to travel again, I guess, or, or leave Northeast Ohio or even even within our within our uh, two hour radius here? 
once you get this degree, and I'm just I'm asking this not only for yourself but anybody else who wanted to pursue this degree. Sure. What What are four or five natural jobs that somebody would take um, after this degree? I know you kind of you, you kind of answered it, but I, I'm looking for more specific roles. No, 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 no problem. Um, so you could be a sports scientist for a team. Okay. That would look like okay. Um, again, sometimes travel with the team, sometimes yep. not. It depends Got on it. what the sport is and everything. Okay. Um, you do that now. You can do that at the universities. Um, yep. You could go so like that. My job is a visiting professor right now. A mm-hmm. visiting professor, as you'd expect from the name, is not like a permanent position. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's usually like a three or four year window that you're right. that you have to be at the school. Right. So um, instead of being in that situation, that's a non tenure track. Yeah. You can get an, an assistant or associate level professor job where you are on tenure track and you're okay. you know the compensation is a little better. Your sure. time at the university is is more nothing's ever guaranteed but you're sure. much more likely to be able to make that yeah. your long-term stop yeah yep. um and then even uh so we don't have this as much as in northeast ohio but um there are well no, i take that back like there you can go like a clinical exercise physiology route where okay you can go work at the cleveland clinic and do okay. cardi- cardiac rehab and, yep. and testing and things like okay. that that okay yeah, some of the other hospital systems, like in Pittsburgh and, and other places, have are and Houston was this way too, where they, right. they have these huge sport performance departments associated with them. Okay. Um, that sometimes they'll farm out that out to the high schools, or right. they'll they'll have people come to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you know, again, a lot of people with my kind of background yeah. work as well. Right. No, Jake. I just want to thank you for your time. You know, the the biggest thing I took from you, Jake, is. I always think about this phrase, wherever you are, make it, make it big time. And, and you've been in multiple settings. And I think your transparency and your common sense approach to your craft and to, to continuing education and trying to do things right way is just so remarkably refreshing. And I think it's an encouragement for all teachers and coaches to uh, wherever they are, kind of bloom where you're planted and make it big time and always put your, your client first. And, and for teachers and coaches, that's our students and our athletes. So uh, job well done, Jake, and really appreciate your time. Well, I, I appreciate it. And I, I really, I appreciate you guys um, doing this. It's been really fun to hear all these different coaches talk about, you know, their, their versions of what you just said, right. And, and their philosophies and how they're trying to do right by, their students, their families, themselves, and and it's been a great educational tool for me to do while I'm digging up plants and everything out in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> now that my semester's done, my wife can be right yeah. to work out there. So speaking no, of where you are planted, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so no, it's been yeah. great. It's been really fun to listen to so far, Jake. Um, so my final question for you is, you know, as I hear your story, um, it kind of reinforces, I guess, what I already knew. Uh, and you know, if I had to, if I had to put it in a nutshell, I, I just think of words like excellence, um, attention to detail, and it kind of makes me. I guess the phrase that I want to use. I hope this isn't too cliche, but Hoban chose a, a new motto a few years ago called "True to You." Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of feel like it applies to you because it seems like wherever you were, you 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 were. In a, in a positively stubborn way, not a negative stubborn way. And I don't mean stubborn yeah. in a negative fashion, but yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way that's not going to compromise your integrity, you know, you were going to be true to you. Um, so I guess my, my fond, and that those are just my, my takes, my takeaways. But as, as I reflect and wrap this up, Jake, I guess when, 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 um, when you ponder or reflect on what guys remember you as, um, 
when you were uh, interacting with them in Major League Baseball. What do you think they say about Jake Biting? Oh, God, I don't know. What I fear what people say. That's what I want me. I mean, I, I hope it's that, you know, someone that was really there to help. Um, and that, yes, someone that, that did put the needs of the athletes first and tried to tried to do right, uh, maybe maybe screwed up sometimes, but at least the effort was there, I would hope. And I, I, I hope that, too, from a from the perspective of, like, all the former assistants I had, that hopefully they think that way, too. I mean, that was – I know I struggled. When I initially got the minor league coordinator job with the Indians, I struggled to say, okay, I'm not doing as much coaching of athletes. Right. Um, right. How can I contribute? And yeah. trying to, I really, it took me a couple of years to figure this out, but, right. and, and certainly the help of several other people, but how do you make the other coaches better to make right. them better and, and make the organization better? I mean, I, so I hope that, that, that it's that, that yeah. there's a person that you can count on to, you know, be there and, and try to help push you forward and, yeah. you know, and do right by, do, do the collective good and not kind of get lost. I and mean, the one thing I will say, I, I, I really enjoyed professional sports because I, there's no, it's not pretending to be something it's not, right? It is yeah, a business. Right. It's very yeah. clear about that. I, I sometimes feel a little gross about the Division One college yeah. football world and things because right. I, I, I'm very much like a pro union, pro athlete rights person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, pro, you know, I enjoyed that part of pro sports, but it was also very easy to get lost in I'm more important because I get to go on charter flights and stay in five star hotels and. Right. You know, uh, you know, like uh, yeah. the the spouses that were with us in the um, World Series on the plane were people like Kate Upton, right? right. And right. like that, there's a whole world you get into that's yeah. Yeah. it's just a little different, right? Yeah. And yeah. you can lose yourself in that very easily. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, again, one of the reasons I've you know I'm so fortunate to have you know, like I mentioned about Maggie, someone who's so grounded. Yeah. Uh, my my brothers, my parents, who you know like to kind of bust chops about right. how unimportant I am being right. in that world, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, it was good to help you stay yeah. grounded. And, yeah. and it's, you know, hopefully the people will remember that, yeah. like, yeah, Jake never got yeah. into thinking. Right. You know, I, I know I consciously tried not to ever right. put myself above any of it. And I, right. I hope that, right. you know, that came across. But yeah. who knows? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So somebody who kind of walked hand in hand, so to speak, with their athletes, even though, he was at the World Series level. Somebody who would ask the athlete first, "What are your goals?" Not, not here's what we're doing today, but you know, what are your goals and what do you hope to achieve? Um, somebody who paid great attention to the details, always exuded excellence, and um, more importantly, did not lose himself in sometimes this artificial world of celebrity um, that I think you were tiptoeing on there when you're in the Major League Baseball world. So, Jake. Perhaps staying true to you is where I'm going to wrap this up because I think that's kind of the essence of this talk of, of, of what I got out of it. And uh, thank you so much for spending this time with us on the Teacher Coach Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, Jake Biting, uh, father, husband, flower planter, lawnmower, <laughs> strength and conditioning coach, World Series champion, Archbishop Hobengrad, John Carroll visiting professor, and a whole lot more. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right, thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it, Jake. Thank you for listening to the Teacher Coach Podcast, folks. We've been getting some great feedback, and we're looking for a title sponsor. 
We also have an opportunity to sponsor the show at the Patreon app at the bottom or top of the program, the Buzzsprout site, or tkgriffith.com. You can get to the Buzzsprout site via that method. Thank you again for listening to the Teacher Coach Podcast.